Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. It's time for us to talk more Melbourne Fringe, and I'm joined in the studio by Telia Neville, who is presenting her latest one-person show, Insomniac Mixtape, uh, at Trades Hall in the Fringe Hub from the 4th until the 15th of October. Telia, welcome back to Triple R. Thank you so much for having me. Absolute pleasure to catch up, as always. I've been watching your career over many years and always enjoying <laughs> your work. Your last show was a, a kind of poetic exploration of depression and anxiety through the metaphor of unwanted housemates. Yeah. Uh, this year, uh, your show is, as we said, is called Insomniac Mixtape and uh, is kind of a for anybody who's ever stared at the ceiling at two o'clock in the morning just wishing they could get back to sleep. Anybody who's ever, like, made faces out of the... You know when your curtains kind of ruffle at the top uh, and you make faces out of them or you can see <clears throat> your dresser shadow projected and you sort of you see a friendly face and then you see an angry face and then you think about your life and then you, you know, quietly dissolve over what you did that day or maybe what you said. Um, yeah, it's for anybody who's ever sort of lain there in that lonely, weird kind of nothing space where you're supposed to be asleep and you want to be asleep, but your brain is going a zillion miles an hour. And as part of this, uh, I mean, because when you first started performing, you were doing poetry and spoken word, and it's yeah. kind of uh, evolved over the years. So this is a cabaret with, what, goth <laughs> and punk and industrial <laughs> songs. Yeah. You know, the, the songs that I enjoy listening to uh, and that fall within my vocal range. Uh, there's also some Ladytron adjacent electro uh, and a Euro techno disco track because I was thoroughly inspired by Caria at this year's Eurovision. What a champion. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's all of that stuff. There is still little patches of poetry and spoken word. I am a word nerd uh, and you can't beat that out of a person. Um, but, yeah, lots of music, which is incredible. My muse are just uh, above and beyond. Who's the musician you're working with? His name's James Dowell. He's a librarian who um, has a garage studio, which he creates these incredible things out of. Um, you ask for something and he just goes, okay. And then a week later, this incredible thing like lands in your inbox and it's so good. Some of them were so good. I listened to them and I was giggling the whole way through because they were just, oh. Now, how, what's the, the benefit for you as an artist in this kind of collaboration as opposed to doing a strictly solo show? It's nice to have somebody else feed into it. It's really lovely to kind of bounce off somebody and sort of have the, the exponential growth of the idea instead of something that, that you just sort of obsess about by yourself. Um, but it's, yeah, it's nice to have somebody's fingers in the pie, I think. Um, most of it is still me. But there's just enough James to just make it nah, chef's kiss. And which also then means that the music James is creating will... Because from, 
I guess for some people they'd go, oh, a show about insomnia. I'm already really <laughs> tired. I don't need somebody else's insomnia kind of laid over me as well. So in some ways that could scare some people off. But then the idea of telling some of this through a variety of musicals, genres and styles is a, a nice kind of counterbalance to that and a playful way to explore a more challenging topic, which reinforces the value of comedy in all its forms, be it stand-up or uh, humorous theatre, whatever it may be, is that, again, what's the Mary Poppins line? A spoonful of sugar mm. makes the medicine go down. You can talk about challenging topics and... Uh, and deeply personal topics through song and with a smile and suddenly it makes it more relatable and accessible. And I feel like insomnia is a really lonely experience and you don't really talk about it. Like insomniacs will get together and go... Ugh together in in little corners but you know you kind of hide it a little bit because you know society expects you to have slept so you say you've slept and um and I feel like sharing it is a way for us to go yep this happens to a lot of us we're in it together next time I'm lying staring at my ceiling I know that there's probably like 60 other people within spitting distance of me doing exactly the same thing. And it's that lovely kind of coming together around universal truth. Which also then reinforces that with a show like this and with other shows that you've done and other fringe artists are doing, it's all part of that broadening of the conversation around mental health yeah. um, and the challenges that people face individually. Certainly, I've been using this show to talk very openly about my depression, my anxiety. I've had plenty of nights waking up at 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning uh, because of anxiety-related dreams and then everything that I'm stressed about Kind of, my sister calls them brain weasels. They get into your head and they run round and round and round and round and round, and, and you just can't calm them down and go back to sleep. Um, so it's important for us to have these conversations so that yes. people don't feel alone and that we can normalise all the different kind of things that people are dealing with. It's incredibly important because you saying that you've got depression, that you're going through a bad patch, opens the door for somebody else who's been thinking, oh, "It's just me. I'm broken." Uh, I, I, I shouldn't talk about it. No one will want to talk to me after I say anything. Having somebody else come out and say, this is what's happening for me, is incredibly important because vulnerability allows other people to be vulnerable. And the more we can talk about it, the easier it is to handle. Um, it's, it's nicer to walk down a path with somebody else than it is to walk down it kind of scuffing your shoes and thinking, oh, I'm a loser. I'm the only one in the world. Uh, you're not. Lots of us have it, and it takes the really it it takes a bold man to stand up and say, "I've been going through a dark patch," and it really helps. So instead of suffering in silence, come and explore insomnia through song. <laughs> yeah, song. There's, there's some dance. Ooh. Uh, some of it is slightly interpretive. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's 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 fun. I like to think it's fun. Now, talk to us about crafting this show because you've created two different versions of it as well because it's available as um, an in-person, live, traditional show at uh, the, the Fringe Hub at Trades Hall. Um, and I should note that all shows are sensory-friendly and there will be an Auslan interpretation uh, this Friday, tomorrow, yeah, tomorrow the 6th night. of October. But it's also available as an on-demand audio piece. They're not incredibly different because it does feel 
Like the the in-person show is quite low light and it's designed to kind of pull you into that same kind of space that you are when you listen to headphones, really good headphones that have that stereo effect going and the sound kind of suffuses your body. Um, but the audio piece is designed to be listened to while probably you are in bed. I recommend wearing like wearing your jammies while you're listening to it uh, and getting snuggly uh, and seeing like where it takes you if you close your eyes and and pretend like you're about to sleep because we do a lot of pretending like we're about to sleep. Um, the in-person one is uh, is yeah, it's. It's lovely being in the same room as people, but sometimes you just want to you want to engage with art, but you want to be by yourself. Or sometimes you can't leave your house or you can't come into the city. So, yeah, the audio on demand is for people who like to engage with art solo. Now, I'll give some details about how you can book to experience uh, this work uh, shortly. But I'm curious because I know several, well, several years ago, a couple of years ago, Tilly, because of the impact of the pandemic, you turned what was going to be a live show into a streaming video piece. Mm. Did that then open the creative floodgates in a way to make you think about different ways of presenting your work, such as both live and audio? It really did. Because I did two digital shows over COVID and the first one was like a traditional cameras in the room while I do a show like people were in the room with me. Uh, and then I realised that that just wasn't... When I was in drama school, uh, <laughs> when I was in drama school so long ago, um, we had this teacher who always talked about you have to acknowledge the room that you're in and... The second digital piece that I made, Little Monster, it really kind of clicked over that you have to acknowledge the room that you're in. You have to acknowledge the genre that you're using and really enjoy what that genre brings to the table instead of sort of doing a theatre show and as a film and wishing that it was a theatre show. You make a film instead and you try to sort of use that language and take advantage of the cool things that you can do when you're filming something. Uh, and audio is a little bit like that too. It's, yeah, the joy of a different genre. If you've just tuned in, my guest is Telia Neville, who is performing Insomniac Mixtape as part of this year's Melbourne Fringe Festival. Uh, previewed last night, opening last night, running through until the 15th of October. Uh, and it's on at 6pm, uh, Wednesdays to Sundays, uh, Sundays at 5pm. It's nice to have that earlier show so you can get home and prepare for whatever it is you have to do uh, for the rest of the working week. Um, so uh, through until the 15th of October at 6pm at Festival Hub uh, Trades Hall on the corner of Ligon and Victoria Streets in Carlton. All shows are sensory friendly and the Auslan translated version is happening tomorrow, Friday the 6th of October. October, and you can book at melbournefringe.com.au where you can also go to find out details about the on-demand audio version as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. That one's available until the 22nd. Uh, and prices? Uh, so it's for the in-person hump day Wednesday is uh, $22.50. Uh, the other ones are 30 full, 25 concession, uh, $15 black tickets. Um, and uh, 
If you do, if you have a lack of funds, my dramaturg uh, says there should be no lack of fund for lack of funds. So please do reach out because I'd really love to have you and we can sort something out. You can get in touch with Telia by visiting her website, which is telianeville.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, where you can also find out about past shows and more about Telia. And as I said, you can go to melbournefringe.com.au to check out and book tickets for Insomniac Mixtape. Telia, just before I let you go, there's so many other shows in Fringe. Any you'd like to recommend? Oh, there are so many. Um, I'm really excited about Betty Grumble. Um, I'm really excited about... Uh, some of the club nights, uh, there's a piano bar on next week. Um, if you've never, if you are a little shy with your voice and you've never experienced a communal sing-along, I heartily recommend it. It's a joy forever. Um, there are some really lovely independent shows happening uh, in some really unusual venues. There are shows in the Nicholas Building this year, which is, ah, it's the best building in Melbourne. If you haven't been, you must. Um, and yeah, there's just there's so many. My favourites list is almost as tall as my torso <laughs> uh, and it's proving to be quite a Rubik's Cube to try and figure out how to get to see them all. Uh, it's always like that. Uh, melbournefringe.com.au. There are literally hundreds of shows to see. Every year my recommendation is go and see someone you love and then counterbalance that by seeing someone you've never heard of. Maybe just choose something at random or choose the name of a show that kind of you think, that sounds unusual and strange, let's see that. So get yourself, take a, take a creative risk in the same way that the performers are uh, and book to see uh, whatever you, I don't know, whatever tickles your fancy choose some random delight, just close your eyes and point at a page. I don't know. You do you, but uh, have a great time seeing Fringe shows. And Tilia Neville, Chookers, and thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. We're going to talk about the visual arts now, having chatted about circus and chatted about cabaret and fringe. Uh, I'm joined on the phone by Marie de Pasquale, who is the CEO of the Melbourne Art Foundation and director of the Melbourne Art Fair. Marie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Richard. Now, some exciting news from Melbourne Art Fair. You've, you're going annual. You're uh, moving dates to, uh, to summer to kick off the, kind of, uh, the year of in Australian art fairs. And you've uh, already announced who your $100,000 commission recipient is. So that's a lot to, uh, to announce all in one go. It's a lot of news. It's a lot of good news. It's a lot of good news. Uh, Look, the fair will be, for the first time in its 35-year history, long history, will be staged on on an annual basis, which is just incredibly exciting for Melbourne, but also for the broader Australian arts industry. We're thrilled. Why go from... uh to, well, why go to an annual setting for an event? Does it not take away some of the mystique and magic of something that is less commonplace by being held biennially or triennially, for example? It allows us to do so much more. So having a fair that's staged every year, well, for one thing, there's an appetite for it. So we wouldn't have done it if there wasn't. But and the ability to have something on an annual basis means that we've got more opportunity to grow that broader arts-loving audience, which is just a benefit for anyone that's involved in the fair. So 
So that's our to not be there every other year is actually more difficult, and it means that there's less opportunities for galleries, and more importantly, less opportunities for living artists, which is what the Melbourne Art Foundation, as a not-for-profit, is all about supporting. So the Melbourne Art Fair will be running from the 22nd to the 25th of February, 2024. That's and right. uh, moving from... I am going to miss it uh, when it was uh, at the <laughs> the old kind of Royal Exhibition building in the Carlton Gardens because I love the grandeur mm. of that place and also it's mm. a, just a short stroll up the road uh, from where <laughs> I live. But um, instead, moving to the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. Will that give the, the fair more floor space, for example? It, it will, but as, as much as I'd love to make it convenient for you, Richard, I hope that you'll still come across the river. Uh, well, this will be the second time that it's staged at the Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. So we moved to that summer Feb time slot in 2022, which was what the last fair was. It was an incredible exhibition and the general punters, but also the industry that came in, although they may have had some hesitation before, because the REB is a really grand, beautiful venue, when they walked in, they understood. It is about providing a world-class standard art fair, and Melbourne Art Fair genuinely now rivals art fairs all around the world. The venue itself is purpose-built, 18-metre-high ceilings, and what that means for artists in, in terms of what they can do within the space, large-scale installations, huge moments in, in environments. It just provides the best viewing platform for contemporary art. Now, as well as uh, competing with other art fairs around the world, I guess going annually kind of helps increase that footprint, helps increase the reputation. Mm. It makes it uh, a more of a destination event as well. That's right. Talk to us about the importance of an art fair uh, in Australia, but also in the broader Asia-Pacific region. What value do they have? Uh, obviously, you, ha you will be having, mm. I think, what, 60 different uh, commercial galleries represented uh, and a range of different art spaces. But um, talk to us about how how important an art fair is in the broader arts ecology in terms of raising mm. awareness about new work, current artists, to a, uh, a, a, just both the dedicated collect collectors but to arts lovers more generally. And you've nailed it, and it's really that. And, you know, Melbourne Art Fair was started in 1988. It's one of the oldest art fairs in the region, and it's had a long time to build that audience for contemporary art. So the role of an art fair has become over the years, increasingly uh, an important part of a commercial gallery business model. And it's for a number of reasons. Um, perhaps a major one is that we're all really time poor now. You know, we're pulled in different directions. There's a lot going on. Our life is very digital and online. And so the convenience of an art fair, not just for the connoisseur, but very important to, to our model, and it, it provides a... Uh, the, the most highly curated selection, the best of the best of work in one space under one roof. And what that does for collectors, curators, critics, um, to provide a snapshot of what the contemporary art world is now, that's incredibly valuable. And then that role of a meeting place and a melting pot for the industry is hugely important too. There's no other event that that really happens, to have the artist in the room with the curator, critic, collector, the general art punter, um, it's quite special. 
It, there certainly is something very special about it, and, and you've certainly captured something there. You made me just remember uh, how uh, significant art fairs are in the eyes of, say, uh, my colleague Gina Fairley, the visual arts editor oh. at Arts Hub, to be able, from a critical perspective, to be able to go, OK, these are the trends that I'm spotting, these are what, yes. what is emerging... Conversely, you're also shaping the festival to a degree. There is a theme for the 2024 Melbourne Art Fair. Tell us a little about that. There is. So Melbourne Art Fair, I think we started this in 2022. What we decided is that the artistic program itself, so not in terms of what the galleries are showing, but that we really wanted to, especially coming off the back of COVID, it was a really tough time for all of us all around the world, but particularly in Melbourne. We wanted to start looking at themes and concepts and feelings that really encapsulated the moment. And so for the first year, that was Jumbana Place. This year, it is Gedaba. Now, Gedaba is a Bunurong word that means together. And I think after coming out of the few years that we've all had, this feeling of needing to be together and looking towards the future is something that certainly artists have been looking at within their work. So we wanted to take some of that and actually communicate that and interrogate that across our, our artistic program. So our live performances, our commission, the international video sector, our conversations, they will all use that as a springboard uh, for, for what unfolds at the fair itself. Now, as part of the fair, as I mentioned at the start of our conversation, Marie, you have announced the, uh, the name of the recipient of a $100,000 commission. Now, that's a, that's a major commission to award an artist. It is. It's sizable. And again, it, it really... And Julie Rapp is the recipient, for those that don't know. Julie Rapp is, has to be one of Australia's most recognised female artists. She's widely considered to have uh, contributed to the foundations of contemporary feminist art in Australia, you know, working for over three decades. She's incredible. And we're so lucky and fortunate to uh, be able to work with the Art Gallery of Western Australia to realise this commission with Julie. Um, and it's just another example of uh, how Melbourne Art Fair works, being owned and managed by a not-for-profit foundation, and how special that really is. It, it means that uh, although we are a very commercial fair, Melbourne Art Fair, we are not necessarily profit-driven as an organisation. We, we are, but only to reinvest into the arts ecosystem and, and to have really substantial commissions and grants programs to support living artists. So we're just thrilled that we could do something so major for the 10th year of the program. And also in terms of that uh, support and investment in the, the broader arts ecology, uh, there will be 11 young galleries, I guess we call them, relatively kind of new and recently established uh, that will yes. be uh, presented at the art fair and uh, subsidised by the Melbourne Art Foundation and That's also right. uh, four art centres supported through the William Mora Indigenous Art Centre Program. That's right. And we had the first year of the program in 2022, which was hugely successful for those Indigenous-owned art centres that took part. So we're thrilled that we can do that again with the support of the Australian government, but also our partners at Benelong Funds Management and Morgan. So we've got four art centres from across Australia that will be participating in that with solo presentations. Um, and that has to be one of the highlights of the fair, for sure. Now, 
I'm not going to ask my guest, Marie de Pasquale, to run through the name of every single gallery uh, that uh, will be represented at the Melbourne Art Fair in February 2024. We could be here for a while. There is a, a considerable list, but that's available on the, uh, the website. So uh, for more information and to purchase tickets for Melbourne Art Fair, tickets went on sale this week. Uh, you can go to www.melbourneartfair.com.au forward slash tickets. And, Marie, I understand the full program uh, will be announced in January. That's right, Richard. So uh, go to, as I said, uh, www.melbourneartfair.com.au for all the information available to date about Melbourne Art Fair 2024, running from the 22nd until the 25th of February. If you've not been to the Art Fair before, don't feel overwhelmed. Uh, I think the very first time I attended, a few years ago now, um, I walked in going, well, I can't afford to buy any work. I'm, I'm an impoverished arts journalist. I'm so shabby in comparison to half the people here. My God. Uh, and I was worried that I would feel out of place. But once you start talking to some of the artists about their work, even if you're shy and just want to wander about and look, the kind of mm. the, the rich array of work from around the country, from some inter international galleries represented as well. It's a thrilling way to, to I guess, to, to, to take in and to feel what is happening in the art world. Exactly. And ask questions, don't be intimidated. The role of an art fair is to also break down those barriers. You know, it's not as difficult walking into an art fair as it, as it may be walking into some of those white box galleries. The whole idea is that we are... So everyone from the arts enthusiast, the art student, of course, artists, um, right through to the curators, critics, art collectors, it really is for everyone at every level of the art market. And there will be works too that are under the $1,000 mark, but yes, there will be works that are, that are over the $500,000 mark. But it's important that we also use art fairs, not just as a commercial marketplace, but as a tool for learning, for meeting other industry, for connecting with artists, if you're an artist yourself, and looking at the current trends. And you also don't have to come to Melbourne necessarily because one of the things we all learned from COVID is presenting work online means that some, suddenly things become accessible to a global audience. So uh, Melbourne Art Fair Virtual will be running parallel, uh, in parallel with the Art Fair from the 22nd of February till the 8th of March. Yes, it is. That's right. And of course, there's nothing quite like experience art in the flesh, but you're so, you're so right. You know, we wouldn't be able to now deliver a physical fair without a virtual fair experience. And I think that is just a very clear, direct result of COVID. And it's great for Australia because it does allow us to connect with a broader international audience. And we need to do that more with our Australian artists. For more information, go to www.melbourneartfair.com.au. Tickets are on sale now. The Art Fair running from the 22nd until the 25th of February at Melbourne Convention and Exhibition Centre. I've been chatting with the CEO of the Melbourne Art Foundation and the Director of the Melbourne Art Fair, Marie de Pasquale. Marie, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. Uh, I'm looking forward to visiting come February. Thanks, Richard. See you there. Triple R. We're going to talk circus again. I am joined, as I said, via the magic of Zoom with Richard Hull, who's the, uh, the CEO of the Flying Fruit Fly Circus, and Annie Davey, their artistic director. Welcome to you both. 
Hi, Hi Richard. Richard. Now, Richard, I'm just going to start. I'm just going to start by saying because we can see your face, which is beautiful. I feel very inadequate in the beard department. <laughs> well, this one is entirely accidental, I have to say, Richard. So uh, I was having a bad depressive episode. I stopped showering or shaving for two and a half weeks. And at the end of it, I was like, I appear to have a beard. What an interesting experiment. <laughs> well, Let's see where it goes. Well, it suits you. Thank you. Well, I'm, uh, I'm feeling a little bit kind of, I don't know, uh, somebody suggested I can get a sideline as Santa Claus uh, come Christmas. Uh, <laughs> I'm not so sure, but uh, who knows? The beard may stay, it may go. But uh, one thing that is staying is Borderville, the circus festival presented annually by the Flying Fruit Fly Circus. Uh, you've just recently announced the program, but Richard, for people who are unfamiliar with Borderville, why create a circus festival? You've obviously got training facilities for the fruities, you've got lots of graduates doing stuff. Uh, why bring in additional shows from elsewhere around the country to, to present such a rich and, and vibrant program? Well, Borderville started uh, um, for our 35th anniversary when... Uh, actually, we weren't performing uh, a lot around the, the, the country, and so it seemed like a very um, uh, appropriate way to maybe to provide some more meaningful performance opportunities for our students, and that was the basis of it. Also, to celebrate 35 years, and then consequently, you know, we've kept it going and celebrated 40 years since then. Um, so really, it was slightly uh, born out of necessity as a way to create... Uh, I suppose, a little bit of critical mass in order to provide performances locally for our students. And then it's grown from there. So not only does it celebrate what we do uh, here all through the year, and it's, it's an opportunity to share that with our um, community and friends and families, um, but also to bring in um, some of the best contemporary circus from uh, around the country. I mean, it's a boutique festival. It's... it's to, deliberately small and also, again, necessarily small because, um, you know, we're not festival producers, but, uh, but we do like to support um, artists um, and also, I suppose, to provide an opportunity to platform some of the work that we've supported throughout the year through our Under Construction program, which is a residency program where we provide space and um, cash and accommodation and hopefully just some general good spirit and support for uh, companies and artists to make um, original works. And so Borderville has become an opportunity for them to um, show off what they've been doing. So I guess that's the, that's the, the nutshell of it. Mm. Annie, to bring you into the conversation, obviously the, the Flying Fruit Fly Circus being the National Youth Circus School, um, I don't want to say churns out, that's the wrong word, but uh, trains and creates and uh, releases out into the world um, a whole range of circus artists every year. Is Borderville also an opportunity for some of those old students to come back and share their current knowledge uh, with the, the current students? Absolutely, yes, the old yes, students. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So this year we've got um, Jesse um, and Lockie coming back, Lockie McCauley and Jesse Scott coming back. They graduated, what, 15 years ago mm. and uh, founding members of CASIS and they're bringing back their two-hander, you and, you and I, which is really exciting. We've also got um, uh, Airborne from A Good Catch, which features Spencer Inwood, who's a, a, a fruit fly, and a, and a couple of other, a whole lot of other very exciting artists. 
Um, and of course, Long Pigs is also features Nikki Wilkes, who is um, one of our very early alumni, alums, as they say these days. I've, I've heard that bandied around, <laughs> alums. But I mean, one of the other things that we're trying to do is, not, because we live in a, in a regional area in a country town, um, we don't get a lot of the festival offer offerings. And so what we're also trying to do with the festival is not just sort of platform the work of ex-students and the best circus around the country, but also to, I suppose, educate our audience. We want Albury to be a place where there's a, a level of circus literacy that you that you might find in um, Montreal or, or Quebec, you know, other um, capital uh, circus capitals of the world, you know punching above our weight in terms of, um, you know, comparing ourselves with Montreal. But, you know, that's the idea. Our kids need to be exposed to work that they can aspire to and our audiences need to respect the work that we want our kids to aspire to. Now, uh, Annie, you just mentioned Airborne, uh, which is created by a Good Catch Circus, a company who fascinate me because of their intergener intergenerational nature. Um, I think kind of uh, Deborah Batten is uh, one of the older circus performers in the country. Uh, Spencer much and, and Shannon's kind of younger by degrees. But the idea of this kind of intergenerational mix of strong women making circus, uh, but this is kind of a show in which they're bringing in additional artists, I understand. Yeah, I think that there's ten, nine or ten artists mm. and, and, again, intergenerational artists. So I know that Jo Lancaster, in fact, I don't know how old Jo is, but she's certainly one of my contemporaries, um, um, yeah, so, so that's a really interesting project. Not just women either, but... Um, um, Simon Yates. Simon Yates, yeah. yes, who's a bit younger than me, Sam Aldham, so a couple of blokes as well. It's really exciting. It's a really exciting project, I reckon. And the, the, what I'm really excited about is they never actually touch the ground, apparently. So they will be on the, those, uh, that beautiful rig, which is the two arches, the two silver arches. Uh, we're going to put it at Gateway Island, so it's going to be an outdoor show in the amphitheatre behind Hot House there. So not just spectacular um, structure, but in a spectacular environment. You know, it's going to be really gorgeous. Well, yeah, and, and I, I, I was just going to say, and I, I suppose it's like a perfect example of how the, the ecosystem, if you like, um, should work here or how we're trying to develop it in as much as you know we've we've invested um in um that work you know both through space and support uh, and they also got the commission to make to to produce it fully and then we're able to present that to our community at the end of the year and to our students mm. and to our families um as a world premiere uh, in albury so like annie says it's 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 we, we, we do definitely have an ambition to want Albury to absolutely be the uh, regional capital of circus in Australia. And um, I would I, I would say it, it already is. So well, uh, I'd like to think so, but you know, we've got to, we, you got to you got to keep moving, otherwise you go backwards, you know. So it also, I mean, the beauty of Airborne is it demonstrates the a, a, a career aspiration for our performers, not just the sort of work that they can be making, but how long they can continue to make the work and how they can um, they can see a career they can see it stepped out in front of them through the works that we're bringing here. Now, one of the other opportunities for audiences uh, attending Borderville will be they will get to experience shows in a brand new theatre 
specifically Ooh. and custom built for circus. Oh yes, we're so excited! It's it's actually we had to close the blinds because there's welding flashes <laughs> going on at the moment. But yeah, um, it's really exciting. The seats are in, the floors in. Yeah, I've I've been like a child for the last six months, really. Uh, you know, I people joke that I'm sort of down there, just standing in front of the building, <laughs> taking photos of every new panel that goes up, or you know, it's it's but but it's it's so exciting, not just because. Uh, it's a, you know it's an extension to our building. It's a new space. It's just more about the the, the opportunities that it's going to uh, provide for our students as a new educational space um, where they can learn more about the you know the various aspects of the craft that we don't we can't currently serve in our training space: lighting and sound and projections. Uh, projections. And you know yes. what, what's the future of circus? Because we keep saying. We are developing the future of circus, so we need to be able to equip them with the future equipment that is that's going yeah. to be their their you know their oeuvre. Yeah, it's uh, interesting, isn't it? And it's like you know the brief was sort of you know epic and intimate, you know, and it definitely has a sense of scale. I mean, it's still not quite finished, but we're close. Um, but uh, a sense of scale. But I think. Uh, to to experience a work in there will feel very immersive. Mm. It, it will feel intimate. It's about 100 seats. Um, the performers are going to be sort of up close and personal, and I think that's great for the audience, but also really great experience for our young artists who are most likely to go out into the world performing in fringe venues in Adelaide or Edinburgh or whatever, it's smaller halls or places where they have to adapt their work a little bit. And um, so it was... in. You know, in some respects, it was uh, totally, hopefully, reflect that somewhat. Although someone did say to me the other day that if you got to Adelaide and this was your venue, you'd you'd, be, you'd feel pretty. You'd, you'd think you'd won the lottery. Pretty lucky. Yeah. yeah. So we've got our our graduates show going in there as a sort of soft opening of the space. We'll do a sort of an official opening early next year with all the pollies and stuff, but um, a soft opening uh, late December with our grad show. There, we've got seven grads this mm. year. And they've got, they're going to make a, an ensemble show. They've just been at the Wanderer Festival trying out some of the work that will go into that um, show, which will be, it's going to be so exciting. You know, so, yes, we'll have our latest or <coughs> fresh generation of graduates accompanied in the festival by some of our earliest graduates and some of our more recent graduates and some of the best circus artists from around the country who haven't come from Fruit Flies because, let's face it, there's got to be a lot of entry points into the industry. We aren't the only entry point into the industry. So we're trying to nurture all of those entry points by developing artists, developing small organisations um, and supporting uh, established um, ensembles. Now, the program for Borderville, the uh, the annual festival of circus presented by the Flying Fruit Fly Circus uh, is online. You can go to borderville.com.au. Now, there's a range of shows and the dates are a little bit spread out. I think the first show begins on about the 2nd of December or thereabouts and the last show uh, will co culminate on the 22nd of December. For Triple R listeners, what's the weekend that they should come up for? What's the where they can perhaps catch the best array of work? Well, that's a that's a that's a good point. We are Borderville is really a one week festival that we spread out over three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> that's partly that's partly just because of the logistics of it all, and uh, you know we are still quite a small team here at the Fruities. Um, look, I, I, I mean, I, 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 there's there's so much choice. I mean, 
I'm so, I am personally super excited about just opening a new space. Um, and it you need to it come doesn't... up for two weekends. You need to come up on the 14th, 15th, 16th, around that weekend, so that you can see Airborne, Long Pigs, and you and I. Yeah, and, and Airborne need... is a world premiere, so we're super proud of that. Yeah, and then you can come up the next weekend and see our grad show. Now, look, with the train fares these days, there's no excuse not to come up two weekends. Oh, that is true. Ten bucks on the train. That yeah, true. that's um, compared to uh, what the prices were, I mean, they weren't kind of outrageous by any means, but the fact that it's, what, yeah, a $9 uh, trip to anywhere in country Victoria and then presumably just over the border isn't going to cost you that much more. So uh, It doesn't. The yeah. challenge now, though, Richard, is getting a seat. Yeah. You know, you really have to book early because <laughs> the trains are packed. Well, I'm glad people, good... are, yeah, people are taking advantage of the opportunity to travel, which is fantastic. So yeah. now just before I wrap up, um, if anyone listening... Uh, wants to perhaps have a family member, a young uh, member of the family, maybe audition for the Flying Fruit Fly Circus. How do uh, kids get involved? Because I know you run uh, training programs for uh, local kids from the Albury-Wodonga region of all ages, and people can see some of those kids strutting their stuff in the Circus Arts Showcase as part of Borderville. But if anyone listening is thinking, I have a kid who thrive at the Fruities, what do they do? They, well, we do hold annual auditions and we've only just completed the face-to-face -face auditions, but still an opportunity. If they rang us up this afternoon, we'd probably audition a kid. Um, yeah, we, so we hold annual auditions, but we also do our national training project during in the middle of the year. In the middle of the year, school holidays, two weeks of really intensive training for kids from all over the country who... Um, come down to Albury and train together. Yeah, and we, we're we always... present in partnership with Circa. Yeah, Circa in, um, from, from Brisbane. Brisbane. So, we are, so we're always scouting for talent at that national training project. Um, and we just want to get to know kids who might be interested so that they can get to know us because it's a big commitment if you've got to come from somewhere else. And, you know, the thing about Circus and the thing about moving to find, follow your passion is that... It, 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 it is, it, it's a challenge for kids, you know. We want to make sure that it's right for them and that we are as right for them as they are right for us. It feels like a two-way audition. They're as much looking at us for a match as we are looking for them. You can find out more information about the Flying Fruit Fly Circus at fruitflycircus.com.au. The uh, training facilities up in Albury in Hovel Street are remarkable and soon they will have, as we've said, a brand new purpose-built 100-seat uh, theatre, the Borderville Theatre, specifically created and designed for circus. So that's going to be a great addition to the training of the students up there at the Flying Fruit Fly Circus. Uh, you can check out borderville.com.au for more information about this year's Borderville Festival on in December with a range of shows across a couple of weeks. And before I let you both go, um, any chance we might see a fruity show at Art Centre Melbourne soon? January. January. On sale now. Tempo opens, I think, on the 19th. I'll have to just... 18th or 19th 18th of January. 19th of January. We're, we're playing for one week. Tickets on sale and selling fast. 
Go to artscentremelbourne.com.au for information about that. I've been chatting with Richard Hull and Annie Davey from the Flying Fruit Fly Circus about Borderville, about the Fruities and about their new theatre. It all sounds very exciting to me. Thank you both for joining us on the program uh, and uh, a pleasure to see you over the magic of Zoom. Thanks so much, Likewise. Richard. I'm not going to shave for three months. <laughs> OK, it's a beard, beard competition now. OK, yeah. I see where this is going. Thank you so much for joining us. See ya. Thank you. Triple R. I'm joined on the line by Susan Van Wyck, Senior Curator at the National Gallery of Victoria, to tell us about a new exhibition uh, photography, real and imagined, which is showing at the Ian Potter Centre, NGV Australia, uh, from the 13th of October through until January next year, a free exhibition featuring a range of iconic photographs. Susan, welcome to Triple R. Hello, it's lovely to be here. Lovely to have you joining us on the line. In terms of uh, an exhibition like this, which features everything from the works of Man Ray and Gilbert and George through to Nan Golden and uh, Australian photographers like Max Dupain, Olive Cotton, you've got such a broad array of photographs to, to look at and choose. How do you choose who to represent in a show like this? Uh, that's always the best and worst part of any project like this. The photography collection has around about 14,000 photographs in it. So narrowing down to a selection of around about 300 images is quite a task. But it really, the process really began around selecting some of those iconic images, such as the ones you mentioned, Man Ray, Gilbert George, Nan Golden, and then looking at works that would work around some of those iconic images. But the other thing that was critical with this exhibition is that it's really trying to represent the multiple histories of photography. So photography is quite um, an unusual art form in some ways because it operates in the realm of creative practice where artists are making photographs, but it's also used for commercial practice so fashion photographs, advertising images, that kind of thing, and they're represented in the show. There's also the documentary and photojournalistic part of the history of photography. And then there's also that wonderful quirky section, which you know we, we refer to as vernacular photography, so snapshots and things like that. So it's a very diverse show. Now, in terms of uh, documentation in photography, for example, I know that one of the things the exhibition is doing is presenting a couple of works which, they're iconic images, but they're also staged for the camera, I believe. They're not actual literal documentary images. That's right. And one of the ones that um, fits into that, that space is the, a small photograph by Joe Rosenthal, and it shows the raising of the American flag on the Japanese island of Iwo Jima towards the end of the Second World War. And it's an image that is very familiar and it's appeared in lots of different forms, um, even recreated as a sculpture. But in actual fact, 
The image doesn't show the moment when the troops arrived at the apex of the hill and are raising the flag. It's a second flag raising sometime after the battle had ended and that was when Rosenthal went up with the troops and photographed this moment when the Americans, you know, marked their place and staked their claim. So in one sense, it's real. It shows an event that happened at the end of the battle, but in another sense, it's a recreation. It's an act of imagination because it was redone for the photographic opportunity. Now, I know over, a, a, I think, a, at least a century ago, people would have said, uh, the camera never lies. Clearly, the camera does lie. We know that. We know that images can be manipulated or, in, as you've just explained, restaged, for example. In terms of, uh, I guess, a subjective truth, that's something. is that something the exhibition is exploring with some, some other works that... Uh, that perhaps imagine events, as the, the title of the exhibition suggests. Yeah, yeah. Look, that, that notion of photography as a medium of truth is such an interesting concept, really, isn't it? Because, you know, historically it's been referred to uh, as things like the unimpeachable witness. You know, it was showing you the world in front of, in front of you exactly what's happening. But even within that, documentary realm, there's that constant shifting and bringing the um, concerns, ideology, ideas of the photographer into play or uh, with commissioned work, so telling quite particular stories. And I guess a great example of that is the work of Dorothea Lang, who was working for the Farm Security Administration in America in the 1930s. And there was a big project documenting the impact of the Great Depression and the drought that swept across the country at the time. But it was a government-sponsored project. So all of the artists, photographers, writers, painters, printmakers who worked on this project were given a quite specific brief to work to. So in that sense, you could argue that those photographs on one hand, uh, a documentary image of what Dorothea Lang encountered, and on the other, uh, works of propaganda, because they were commissioned by government to tell a quite particular story. Photography Real and, and Imagined will be showing at the Ian Potter Centre from the 13th of October through until January. It's a free exhibition, and I'm speaking with NGV senior curator Susan Van Wyck about the exhibition. Susan... I'm intrigued by what I've read about the exhibition, given that uh, one of the works that has been selected is, I understand, the very oldest photographic work in the NGV's collection. Yes, yes. It's a really wonderful opportunity to get our, our 1844 Portrait of a Man by William Henry Fox Talbot. And Talbot is one of the people who's often credited with being one of the inventors of photography and this is a wonderful little work it's quite tiny it's only about three centimeters by five centimeters and it's this very very beautiful portrait of an of, of this man sitting in a little photographic studio but the thing that's special about this moment is 
we haven't been able to show this work for many, many years. It's um, what's called a salted paper photograph, and so it's quite light sensitive. And with this, this particular exhibition, we've been able to create a special side room where the light levels are really low and we can get out some of these incredibly rare, very, very early photographs using these quite delicate processes. So it's kind of wonderful with our collection to have this 1844 work. So that was a photograph made five years after Talbot invented his photographic process. And to have works like that from the 1840s and 1850s, ranging right through to current day with new works by artists. So really exciting spread of work and looking at the collection thematically has enabled us to really draw out the, those threads and connections across time. Susan, tell us about some of the, the new works and uh, works by living artists that are represented in the exhibition, particularly Australian artists. Look, great Australian photographs here include a wonderful work by Darren Sylvester, which is entirely a work of imagination because it um, would appear to show someone travelling on a jet plane, but it's an entirely studio-based construction. So everything about the image is the work of Darren's imagination. And it's a work that really critiques ideas around consumption and um, that avarice, contemporary avarice to um, have things and have experiences and, and bestow ourselves with luxury. So that's a fantastic work. And another really important contemporary work, I think, is Rosemary Lang's Welcome to Australia, which in one sense, I guess it's a documentary image. It shows the exterior of an immigration detention centre. But the way she's titled it, Welcome to Australia, with a lowercase w, really puts front and centre the experience of illegal arrivals in the country. So people coming to a place seeking refuge, seeking a new life, and perhaps not finding what they'd been hoping for. It's a very challenging work and that's one of the great things about it. And there are a number of works in the show that really address quite difficult, difficult subjects. Another example is a work, in fact, by an American photographer, Hank Willis Thomas. And it's a work that the photograph is actually printed onto the surface of a large-scale mirror. And... The image shows three people who were involved in the Birmingham race riots in 1955. But because it's printed on a mirror, when you look at the work, you become part of the image, you become part of the scene. And so the artist has worked in this very clever way to make recent history, in this case, something inescapable. And you can't separate yourself from global events, particularly this event, because there you are, you're in the image with the people. 
Fantastic work. I'm really intrigued by that. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And indeed, I'm looking forward to the exhibition as a whole. Photography, Real and Imagined, at the Ian Potter Centre, NGV Australia at Federation Square, from the 13th of October, running all the way through till January, and I believe closing on the 4th of February. So you've got a bit of time to see it, particularly perhaps over the summer break, but there will, of course, also be uh, curator talks, floor talks, guided tours. Uh, for all of that kind of information, you can visit the NGV website, ngv.melbourne. I've been chatting with NGV senior curator Susan Van Wyck about photography, real and imagined, opening from the 13th of October at NGV Australia Federation Square. Susan, thank you so much for joining us on the program today. My very great pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 